This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. You're listening to our current Sunday morning series, Who Are We? if you will, and find the New Testament book of, of Titus. Uh, we are in the midst of uh, the Christmas season, and there have been times in my ministry that I will take the, maybe the month of December and, and preach through Luke chapter 2 or other aspects of the, the birth narrative. But uh, this month, um, at least up to this Sunday, we're going to continue in uh, the book of Titus. And I was thinking about that this week. You know, as a pastor, we think a lot about you know, our, our preaching in the calendar and that type of thing. And I began to think about it. We're looking at, and you remember, in the last several, several weeks, we're addressing this idea, who are we? You know, who are we? Uh, uh, something that we need to be able to answer. We're believers. We are the church. Here specifically, we've been unpacking historically what it means to be a, a Baptist church. And then we looked at for several weeks the, the concepts of a, the Southern Baptist Church, and we're in the midst of our Southern Baptist missions giving offering. And so we understand what it means to be Southern Baptist, but do we understand what it means to be the church? Now, if you think about Christmas, it is, I guess you could say for, for many reasons, it is recognizable everywhere we go. But do we really understand what the birth of Christ means? We understand it, let's say, salvifically that, well, Jesus died and was born and was died and, and we can be a Christian. But I think if we think about where we are studying and we think of the book of Titus, we think about the birth of Christ, we begin to understand the church. It is so more than just an historical event that took place. Christ came and he was born and he lived and he died and he's at the right hand of the Father and he will come again. And it's really all about the church, the redeemed that come together locally and the redeemed that will be in heaven globally. It's, it's really about the church. You cannot have, uh, to me, the birth of Christ. We cannot celebrate the birth of Christ at Christmas and not understand the joys of the church. Now, when we think about our church, Joy and Matt and I were talking about this uh, the other week and calendar laid out and this time of year and we started at Thanksgiving and, boy, we have been busy. How many, are, how many people have been busy? And I started thinking about our church and I thought, you know, we have got a lot to be excited about. Look what all we have done as a church since Thanksgiving. Think of the ministries that we have been involved with of giving meals away at Thanksgiving and, and ministering in our community. We think about uh, we celebrated missions last month and we're taking up money and we're giving and we're going. I think about this past week and what, how wonderful is it to come together as churches in our community on a, on a night of the week and worship together. Isn't that just awesome? You know, we have done so much as the church this week that anybody that's been involved with that and is part of this church, we've got a lot to be excited about. It encourages me to know that the devil has not won, that Christ is still on his throne, and we have a purpose, and we have a place, and we have a mission. But I want us to think about something this morning. So turn, if you will, 
Titus chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is a great time to be the church, just historically, but also for this season. This is a great time to be the church because I'm going to tell you this. People will come to a service, but people will also come to a Christmas service. So today I want you to go home. Here's your homework. I want you to go home and think about somebody that doesn't go to church. And I want you to call them and invite them to join you at 6 o'clock tonight for our Christmas cantata. They will come to that. And I want you to find people that are not involved with church, and I want you to invite them to our Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock here, and we're going to have a time of singing and worship, and we're going to celebrate communion. And then I want you to invite them Christmas Day. We're having no Sunday school. We are having a baby nursery, but no extended session and those things. We're going to meet at 1045 only, and we're going to have church on Christmas Day. I cannot think of a better place to gather on Christmas Day than with you and celebrate the birth of Christ. And so we've got a lot to be excited about, even over the next couple of weeks, don't we? Amen? Remember Thursday night, y'all said y'all were going to start helping me out a little bit, Remember? Amen. Amen. But I want to let you in on a little secret. We're a great church. And there are great churches all over. But we're not a perfect church. Have you ever thought about that? I will never be a perfect pastor. We'll never have a perfect deacon or deacon's wife or church member or anything. None of us are ever going to be perfect. And the reason that we're never going to be perfect, I'll tell you why. You may know the answer. We're involved with it. Isn't that right? I always get real nervous when somebody visits our church and they say, I've been to a couple of churches in my life, but you're the best pastor I've ever met. That's the best sermon I've ever preached. That's the the best choir I've ever heard. The ushers are perfect. The offering was perfect. The offering's so perfect, I gave threefold. Everything's perfect. And I go, oh my goodness, this is not going to it's not going to take very long, is it? It's like a new Christian when they're excited and they look around and think everything's going to be perfect. No, everything is never going to be perfect because we are involved with it. But God is perfect. And he gave us a plan within the church to keep things as close to perfect as we can. Turn, if you will, to Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, you remember the last couple of weeks in Titus and who we are. We were looking at the leadership. Christ is the head of the church. We're looking at the, the elder pastor shepherd role of the church and, and their qualifications and their calling. And then verse 9, it, it ends that section. It says that he must do these things. Verse 10, for the reason. Now, I don't, I'm not going to dabble in saying that I need to do a paraphrase, but if, but if I would paraphrase or write something in my margin in verse 10, I would put this in there because the church is not perfect. We need godly leaders. We need a sound biblical church. We need a, a godly fellowship because the world is not perfect. 
Now let's read God's word. Verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now this culture and this context, he's talking about the Jews in the day. Verse 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, now you have to remember that Titus is in the area of Crete, and so I guess historically what's taking place is is a a prophet, whoever that prophet was, even though he wasn't part of the church, it would have been a well-known prophet, would have said that the Cretes are liars. And so they're they're taking a a prophet of that day and and putting it in here to, to validify what is taking place. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, even said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And so it would be like, hypothetically, we think of Sin City, Las Vegas, or New Orleans, or these places. Somebody that lives there would say, now there's some rough people here in New Orleans, or Las Vegas. So the context here is that that Paul is writing to Titus in the midst of them, and they're saying, you know it's been said that, that people here are kind of messed up. And so it's laying the foundation of, now, we may not be that messed up, but none of us are perfect. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. Key statement there. The key of any confrontation is rightness. The key of any confrontation, think about raising a child. Surely to goodness, we just don't discipline a child because we just want something to do. You know, our child misbehaved. And we think, you know what, I don't have anything else to do. I think I'll just go discipline my child. This is always a lot of fun. No, we discipline a child so that their behavior will become right. And the only way that we can get that behavior right is we've got to show them that what they're doing now is not right, but the goal is always right. So even in the midst of a world that's not perfect, the goal is not to just be judgmental. The goal is not just to point fingers. The goal is not to just tell everybody they're wrong. The idea is, as a church, that we understand that nobody is perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But our goal is that everybody is of sound faith, that everybody is doing right. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be of sound faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people, turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their conscience are defiled. A telling story, verse 6, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? They are detestable, dishonest, and unfit for any good work. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you. What a reminder of verse 16 is to those that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, that those that have never repented of their sin and placed their faith in you, in the midst of this false teaching, in the midst of this behavior that happens within the life of the church, the true colors are shown, lostness. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus, that we celebrate this time of year, your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection. Lord, we're grateful that we're not detestable, we're not disobedient, we're not unfit for any good work, but because you have saved us, we are yours. Because we are redeemed, we are a child of God. Let us take serious that call, Lord, and even as we look at this passage today, Let us love you as we love the church and as we love one another. 
let us do all things to please you and to share the gospel with others. And this we ask in your name, Lord. Amen and amen. Well, the church is not perfect, but God has a plan. But there in verse 10, let's look at this plan. One is, as we think about the church and our ministry, we must expect, we must understand, we must not necessarily look for as far as judgmentally look for, but we need to expect things to get sideways. Now, I use that word a lot. You know, it's, you ever driven on ice? You're riding down the road and you get sideways real quick. It doesn't take long to get sideways when you deviate off the path. So often, if we're not careful, we, we naturally want to be positive people, don't we? You know, they're not all of us, but some of y'all. Some of you are on the opposite. Some of us are on the other. You know, it's either half empty or half full. It's either yay or nay. But I think it, really what we like to think about as a church, let's just be all positive. Everything's great, Okay. We're, we're redeemed, we're a church, and so we're doing church. So then we assume that everybody that comes into the church and everybody that's part of the church, we want everything to be positive, and we want everybody to be great, we want everybody to be right. It doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you do. We're just the church, and we just love triumphs, everything. And so there's this desire I think we all have to please people, to be accepted, no conflict. But, oh, that's so dangerous. And you see, even in the early church, that we need to understand that we need to expect things to get sideways every now and then. For there are many. Now, what do you think many means? There is many. There always has been many. And there will always be many people that are teaching false things. Now, that is the key. It has nothing to do with being Southern Baptist. It has nothing to be with Baptist. We're not talking about, well, if you don't believe exactly like every Southern Baptist, then you need to get out of here. No, we're talking about evangelical biblical faith. Pastor Stevens and I, great example. He and I love each other to death. Could you tell that we've got a very brotherly, sweet relationship as an older pastor? He's an older pastor, and I'm the young pastor, amen? Some of y'all say, well, you're not as young as you think you are. Well, as long as he's older than me, he can be Paul and I'll be Timothy. Do we agree on every aspect of church polity, how to do certain things? No. Do we agree on every dynamic on how they do church and how we do church? No. But you know what we do agree on? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll unpack that a little further. So we're not talking about, well, if you don't believe exactly like I believe, then you're, no, what we're talking about is compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the salvific message of Christ. What does it mean to be saved? What did Christ do? What is our view of God? What is our view of Scripture? Because if we get those things wrong, everything else is going to get wrong. So we must expect, now if you don't know this, you've been in a cave, okay? We must expect that the world does not agree with our message. Do we believe that? We should believe that. The world does not accept our message. So we can expect the world to want to get in our midst. We have to expect it to happen. 
If you're raising a family, you need to expect it to happen in your family that your children are going to be exposed to things of the world. And if we think it will never happen, you know, it's like me. I, I tend to try to remember to lock my doors at night. Why do you say that? I don't want crazy people coming in my house at night. Now, there have been a few times that I've locked the door. There have been a few times. We had some little communication problems the other week. I was gone out of town. Let you know what happened in my life. Sharon locked the doors every time you go to bed. You come in the house, you lock the doors. Well, she fell asleep on the couch, bless her heart. She's getting a little old. You fall asleep on the couch and wake up. You don't, even, you don't even know what month it is. So she went to bed and unlocked the door. Then got up to go to school and work and went to open the door and locked the door. She said, oh, my goodness. I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Crazy person could have walked in the house. And she's laid in there with a fat cat that couldn't hurt anybody. And so it's not that we live in fear and trembling, but it's just that we expect it can happen. I just expect to know that the world, and you know, Satan's a pretty sneaky guy, isn't he? He's probably not going to come in this door and look like Satan. He's not going to come in here and have a little fork and ears and red and whatever we think a Satan looks like. And he's not going to walk down the aisle and go, I want to join this church. And we go, oh, we're so excited to have you. No, he's going to come in under the, the concept of one of us. And he wants to get in here and be comfortable and blend in. That's, Satan has done that forever. He did it in the Garden of Eden. Kind of slipped in, twisted the words of God. We need to expect it. We need to expect attacks. We need to expect problems. We need to expect it from the outside. But we need to expect it from the inside. I'm going to read these passages. You can write them down if you want. You do not have to turn there for the sake of getting there and back. Sometimes we have to be reminded, if you don't believe me, believe Jesus. Matthew 24, verse 4. Matthew 24, verse 4. And Jesus said to them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. Now what does it mean to come in his name? He's preaching on the Olivet Discourse and the, and the end times and all that's going to take place. And he said, listen, you know, many are going to come in my name. There are going to be many that come in the name of religion saying, I'm the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Have you ever thought, how in the world, have you ever said out loud when you watch a cult, you know, you're, you're, you're locked up in Waco and barbed wire and hand grenades, and you think, what in the world, who would do that? People that have a church background that gets disillusioned and they get led astray. And then verse 11 of Matthew 24, many, even Jesus said this, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Christ himself even said that in the days ahead, it's going to come from inside the church, inside the name of religion. Just because, you know, we can say, well, we, we all can believe something, just believe something we all believe. How dangerous is that? Christ himself said it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose from the people just as they will be false teachers among you. And he was pointing to the old and now he's talking about the now and the future who will secretly, why do, why do you think the word says secretly there? Because Satan is the master of being a secretive. 
He's always coming in under the radar because he knows if he can get in, get comfortable. You ever notice that some of the folks that visit our homes and knock on the door, you ever notice what they say? We believe in the Bible. And we'd love to come in and talk to you about the Bible. And they come in the house and they say, by the way, do you know there's another Bible? And a person that's not faithfully in the Lord and growing, they go, well, now I believe there's a Bible, so these people must be good. Jesus also wrote another Testament. And they go, well, I never knew that. Yes. I was visited by some of those one day at the church, as a matter of fact. And they, they came in, and I went, and they said, do you know that Jesus wrote another testament? I said, I do. And then I said, only your pastor could think of this. Did you know I wrote another testament? They said, well, no, 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 no. Yes, we have the Bible. Jesus wrote his testament. I wrote another one. Well, no, 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 you couldn't have wrote another one. I did, though. Okay, we got to go. Bye. I mean, who's... We all wrote... I mean, you see where we're going? We used the Bible and we did... That get now... The Testament of John Beck, you want to talk about getting sideways real quick. First thing I'd do is I would change the serpent to a, a gator. I'd do that first. But see how slick that is? Oh, I didn't know. You wrote another one. Yes. Yes. There are many false prophets from within. So we need to expect it. But let me just say this, okay? It's not our, we're not the judge and the jury. Okay? It's not our job to go around and, and try to sniff them out. You know, sometimes I think that if we're always looking for the negative, we're just going to be a negative person. It'd be like me. If I stand up here on Sunday morning and all I can focus on is who is not here, I'm going to miss who is here. And if every week I just stand here and say, well, I can't believe they didn't come. I can't believe they didn't come. I can't believe. And every staff meeting, we, I tell Joy and Matt, well, they weren't here and they weren't here and they weren't here and they weren't here. Well, what about those that are here? If I come into church and I'm trying to figure out why everybody believes wrong and all that, that's just a miserable little existence. Let's just enjoy who we are. We love the word. We love truth. We expect it. We know it's going to happen. We have our, our guard out there. We have a, a plan in place, but we know it just lets you know. Expect it to happen. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect Christian. There's no perfect Bible study. There's nothing perfect. Only Christ. Expect it. If we look at that and begin to understand it, because we need to expect it, now we can shoot back up to the first part of Titus and we can get to understand why it is so important that we get the leadership right. Okay, I'm not the leader of the church. You know who is? Jesus Christ is. So Christ is the head, and because Christ is the head of the church and the Spirit abides within us, 
And as a Southern Baptist church, we're a, we're a congregational, uh, directed, supported church. Yes, we do have an elder pastor that leads the congregation from the standpoint of us, but it's the congregation supported, approved. Because we have the Holy Spirit, we seek the Spirit of God, we seek the face of God, we take the Word of God, and we say, God, based on these characteristics, based on the qualities that we need to see in this man, would you lead us to the man that you are going to place to lead us? Now, if we don't want to follow this then we're going to get anybody but if we follow the word of God and we understand that there are certain guidelines and certain characteristics that we can see here then we begin to understand verse 9 he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yes, we need to expect it, but we don't have to be in fear and trembling because God has given us a plan in order to deal with it. We've got godly people that lead our church. He is the head. We have an elder pastor. We have godly leaders throughout. Aren't you grateful that God has put something? Could you imagine what would happen if we had no way of being able to know what was the truth? And we just opened up the doors and said, you know, we, we know things are coming, but how do we know where they are? How do we know what to stand on? How do we know what to believe? Could you imagine what the churches would look like? But God loved us enough that he sent his son to give us salvation And he loved the church enough enough that he gave us godly leadership and a process through the Holy Spirit and words from the Word to help us understand the people that God is putting in our midst to lead our church. You'd be surprised the number of people that said, you know, uh, a funny story, Charles Spurgeon is one of my favorite preachers. He's an old Baptist preacher over many years ago across the pond in England, and he's got a great book, Lectures to My Students, and, and he is just so plain about things and he had a preacher's college and and you know somebody would come up and say well I'm called to be a preacher no you're not well I I feel in the the bosom of my soul a call to preach uh you're not above reproach you're not a husband of one wife uh you're not you're quick tempered and you're arrogant you're not called to preach it doesn't matter what you think see that's 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 what we do we, we look at the word and we say, if God is placing someone to lead, now whose church is it? It's his church. We do live in a crazy day, but we don't have to worry about that because God has placed people in our midst to stand on the word. That's the key, the word, to lead us. So even though it is my job to expect it, I'm not worried about it because we have the word. We have Christ and his spirit. We are his. He loves his church. He gave his life for his church. So therefore, we're all in for the church. This is his church. We're all in this together. Number two, as we go on in the text, it says there in verse 10, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party of the Jewish party. We must recognize it. Now it's getting personal. We must be able to recognize when those things begin to happen. Now I want to let you in on some little pastoral secrets. A church does attract all kinds of different people. In a good way 
and in a way that we need to be on our guard. I never want to make light of the Lord's church, but there are times that I'm in conversations with people and I'm going, what in the world? I can't even figure out what they're saying. It is so odd and peculiar. I mean, some of the, the less than serious things that have happened places, can you imagine you know, true pastor story? Can we talk after the service? I would love to. We walk back in the pastor's office, and he looks me dead in the eye, and he said, well, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm running, I murdered somebody, so I'm trying to find somewhere to hide out. I'll be right back. Hold that thought. I mean, really? That's when you call. Who's the deacon? Can you call? Deacon of the week. Justin, Justin. We got a we got an issue in the pastor's office. We've got a serial killer in the pastor. And you sit there and you think, what in the world? Is this like a test or something that, you know, the deacons are putting me up to to see how I handle it? But I will tell you this. In the 20 years, I've been blessed to be called a pastor. There have been real issues that were just beyond someone that had some psychological things going on. And there's one common denominator, and it's the number one thing listed here, insubordination. Now, what does that word mean to us? To be insubordination, you don't want to follow the rules. Isn't that right? You just don't want to follow the rules. And so it's not like, here are our rules. You need to follow the rules. But here's what happens. Someone that does not want to follow the leadership of a church that is standing on the word is really not wanting to follow the leadership of who? The Lord. Every time an issue has arisen within the church, it is the root of the issue is authority. I do not want to be told what to do, and so I want to do this. I want to believe this. I want to act this way. I mean, you would be surprised a number of times over and over and over over in ministry that these things begin to creep out notice what else the Lord says they're they're empty talkers I've shared this story a couple of times that we got a phone call uh, on on a New Year's Eve night we were having a, a watch service watch night service at our church and we were up in Indiana serving there and we get a call from the sheriff hey we got two missionaries are walking around just trying to find a church to minister to that sounds that's a great story isn't it you know, thank you, Jesus. They didn't let us right here. We, Sharon and I get in the car, and we go down to the sheriff's office, and they, they weren't in trouble. They just saw them on the side of the road. They were an elderly couple. They looked, they looked fine. They didn't look shady. We're just messengers for the Lord. And it was like the, the Spirit just kind of came upon me there for a second. And for some crazy reason, I looked at them and said, what does it take for a person to be saved? I mean, just Sharon was like, where did that come from? And they went off in some crazy story that Christ is not the Messiah and he's not Christ and he is Abraham. I mean, just out there, like they, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask him, have you been eating you know, crazy mushrooms on the walk or something? I mean, what in the world are you even talking? So they, they talked and they said a lot of stuff, but it was just empty babble. And so I told the deputy who I was good friends with, you got them. They're on you. He goes, you're not going to take them? I said, heavens no, I'm not taking them to our church. 
Lord, I mean, that, that's the last thing I want. Well, here's a church. We're a new church, and we're a growing church, and we're a new church plant, and we're full of Christians. Look what I brought in. And the funny thing about it was, and this is sad, that the next week Sharon to the ladies' Bible story and somebody said, guess what happened to us New Year's Eve night? We had the sweetest people come to our church and just tell us all their stuff. Lord, help us. Anybody that doesn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand on the word, it is just empty talk. And they're deceivers. Now, whether their true motive is deception, here's the thing to think about. I've met some people that their true motive may not be deception, but because they will not call on the name of Christ only for salvation, their master's role is deception. So it's not like they just come in, I'm going to deceive the church. No, if you don't follow Christ and you're not a Christ follower and your master is Satan or you don't believe Scripture, you don't believe what the real gospel is, they are deceiver. And they're going to come in and take you, go back to Genesis. What did Satan say? Did God really say this? Is this what God really meant? That's deception, twisting and turning the truth. Lies and fraud. And then we look at verse 16, jump forward before we go back. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. They're hypocrites. That's what they look like. And we think about the preciousness of of the faith of the redeemed and the life of the church. And Paul says, you better be all in, Titus. You better have leadership that we're all in. We're all in this together. We're excited about it. We're not judgmental about it, but we know we've got a mission. We want to share the gospel. We need to also know that we can expect things to get out of, get sideways. But we also know what to look for. We need to recognize it. Now, somebody would say, why in the world are you preaching this in Christmas? Well, I don't normally just schedule all of my preaching to holidays. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Because notice what takes place here in verse 11. This is not a very welcome to, welcome to First Baptist Church Christmas week. We're going to rebuke you sharply. Not a very seeker-friendly message, but it's the truth. You know what the Word of God says? We deal with it. Go back to that precious child of yours. Isn't it funny? I love being a parent watching you raise your children, you know, now that mine are raised, I had all the answers. A lot of times, I, you know, you see a kid, not y'all's, another church. And, and uh, you, uh, you see the kid, and it, it is bad, but it's kind of cute when they're young, isn't it? How often of us that have raised our kid, we go, it may be cute now, but it ain't going to be cute when they're in middle school. And I think I told a parent that one time, and I didn't go well. It's cute now, but I'm going to be counseling them in middle school. You're going to come to me and ask me to fix them. It doesn't seem like a big deal now. Why can't we just, now pastor, why can't we just all get along and just, I know they don't believe Jesus is the only way, but they're nice people. They've been walking all night in the cold in Indiana. Can't we just let them in? Oh, it's cute now. Let about four or five church members buy into that lie and see how cute it gets. 
If you ever notice, now you may not do this as a pastor, I do this, and I've mentioned this several times. I am from Georgia and I am from Atlanta. And it's just something about where you're from. It's just where you're from. I mean, I love Florida, but I'm from Atlanta and that area. And you can drive around Atlanta now, and back in the 50s and the 60s, back in the day when things were a little bit different, and, and Atlanta wasn't quite so big, and it's like this in a lot of major cities. You had the Scott Boulevard Baptist Church, the, one of the strongest churches in that area, and they were reaching. Man, I'm telling you what, I, don't, I want to go up to them and say, you just need to take the steeple off of this thing because it's not a church. They have opened up the door. It is just like, and I use this phrase a lot. I know it, my wife didn't like when I say it. It is crazy people church. They're not standing on the word. They're just telling little gospel stories, and there's no truth. Everybody this, everybody that. And I think, how in the world did you go to Scott Boulevard Baptist Church in the 50s and 60s and the, and the missionaries and the pastors and the souls that came out of this church to now it's just like a, a community center of just stuff? How does that happen? You don't deal with that which is wrong and you allow it in and it permeates the church. Notice what the word says. They must be silenced. That's pretty, you know, you can look at that a hundred different ways in the Greek and it means the same thing. They must be silenced. I want us to think about three things here. I thought about this. There's three things that I think are at stake here. I've got examples for all of them. There can be Christian differences. Okay, let's say that you are a Bible-believing Christian and you love the Lord and I love the Lord. I'll give you a great example. I was part of a church in Florida and the and, uh, first church I pastored, a small rural church, anybody that walked the door, we were tickled to death. Anybody. We were, woo, come on in. What I need to do, join. Just shake my hand. You remember. You know, start giving. We'll make you a leader. I mean, you're just so excited to have something. So this man came to the church, loved the Lord, knew the Lord, knew it was a little different. One of those things that it's the Spirit of God kind of said, be careful. We were Southern Baptists, just like we would be Southern Baptists and, and, you know, our Sunday school curriculum, these types of things. So he joined the church, and about two weeks after he joined the church, he came up to me and said, you know, the King James Bible is the only Bible. And if you don't read the King James Bible, you will die and go to hell. I'm like, well, I hadn't read that. <laughs> Where's that in Scripture? And, I mean, he started just flooding me with books, and the Internet hadn't gotten really popular then. It would have really gotten bad if he, the Internet was available because you can Google anything and find anything on the Internet. Just because it's on the Internet doesn't mean it's true. So then he brought me this book, that, that the tra- true story, the translators that wrote the NIV Bible have all died. And they went blind and their arms fell off. And I'm going, what is this guy talking about? So it's just like King James only, King James only, King James every week. So I was like, this brother needs to be silenced. He was a Christian. We sat down and it was one of the first times I did that. It was very difficult. Brother, you cannot stay here. You are wearing me out. 
Well, I'm a Christian. You may be a Christian, but this cannot go on. You are causing so much confusion in here. He literally, how, how fanatical he was about it, he literally went to his house years before he joined our church and took every Bible that was not King James and burned them like it was heresy. And I said, okay, we need to have a new, that was when I first started new member classes. They have to be silent. Now, is he a Christian? Yes, he's a Christian. But he had to be silenced. He may be a Christian, but we don't believe that way. So you can be a Christian and not need to be in a particular church. Secondly, I think there are other things that can be going on, not that severe. And I call this kind of, well, I could go with that, theological, philosophical. So it is under that same heading. I'll tell you a story here. It wasn't that long ago. Someone was in a church, small group. And the teacher came to me and said, I just want to share with you, Pastor, this was shared. Immediately, I was like, that can't happen. And I think even the people I shared this with were kind of alarmed because I was like, whoop. And they were like, well, we'll, we'll take care of it. I said, there's nothing to take care of. I'm just telling you, I, your old wise pastor's been down this road before. So we had a meeting. And this is what came out of the meeting. I don't want a pastor. I don't want anybody over me. I want to be part of a church, and I don't want any authority. I don't want any leadership. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I'm in this thing, to, you know, I think we can do what we want to do when we want to do it now. What do you think I said at that point? This is not the church for you. He said, are you telling me I cannot stay in this church? I said, that is exactly what I'm telling you. He said, well, why in the world would you do that, Pastor? For you. Could you imagine having someone in our church, maybe somebody asked him to lead a Bible study and he's teaching our youth, you don't have to listen to any authority. Don't listen to your parents, just do what you want to do. Don't listen to a pastor, do what you want to do. Don't listen to a, an elder, do what you want to do. That's not good and that's never going to end well. Sad part about it is he's a grown man that's been in I don't know how many churches. Well, most churches have some type of leadership, don't they? It's sad, but they have to be silent. There's another area. I call it confusion, lack of knowledge. I think you can just be a sincere Christian and not really grown in the Lord, and, and you're just excited about something, but you can be wrong with it. Anybody ever been that way? I've been that way a lot. You know, well, I'm just, it sounds good. Well, it may sound good, but it's not good, so they might need to be silenced. Might, they need to stay in the church, but you still got to silence it. And that's not right. Well, I think God is a good God, and even though I believe in Jesus, no, I'm saved, but because God's a good God, I think everybody ought to just go to heaven. I got you. Settle down. It's good. I know you, I know you believe that, and, and you can think that's right, but that's got to be silent. No, that's not. That can't be right. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ someone is saved. You know, so it could be that just someone is just confused, but still the imperative is silence it. If anything is not right, we have to deal with it immediately. Doesn't mean they have to leave the church in that setting, but you know, just I'm just telling you, we know this. If you don't deal with something now, it's going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So deal with it immediately. That's what it's alluding us to do. Deal with it immediately. Then it says to sharply rebuke them. Now, here to me is where it comes positive. Now that word doesn't sound positive, does it? 
First Baptist Church, 100 North Lake Avenue, where we sharply rebuke those that don't agree with us. Now, that doesn't sound good, does it? I mean, it makes it sound like, well, if you don't believe exactly like our pastor, we got a rebuke room back there, and they drag you back there and get you straight. They silence you, and they'll never see you again. No, it's a, this is a good thing. If you're, let me tell you, this is what makes it good. If you're visiting with us and you have been, been visiting with us and you have children and you have youth and you are concerned about your child's soul and their salvation and you are concerned about what they are going to believe about the Word of God, I will tell you this, we are the church for you. Why? Because we're going to not let any craziness in here. That's what that means. We so love truth that we are going to sharply rebuke anything that's not of truth. And I can tell you this right now in authority of me just living. That doesn't happen in every church. We are so afraid to offend. We are so afraid that somebody may not like us. We're so afraid we may not be the biggest church in town. We're so afraid that someone may say something negative about us that we say, well, we can't say anything. No, we must say everything. So that's a positive thing. Sharply rebuke. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain and not to teach. Therefore, verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Let me add this. Think about in Scripture 11 and bread. Have you ever thought about sometimes in the medical field, infection? If you don't deal with an infection, how that can spread. If you leaven in the bread, it spreads. I will say this. We're a church that cares about the family. And there was some false things going on in the churches in Crete, and it was impacting entire families. Falseness was spreading and spreading and spreading. And that's what happens. You know, you, you think about our country. How did our country get to the point that we cannot even figure out what a marriage looks like? Have you ever thought about that? If you take some of the things that were said in the Democratic and the Republican convention, all right, publicly stated, we believe this. 30 years ago, could you imagine that being said publicly? That person would have like negative votes. How does that happen? slowly and deceitfully. And we just keep it spreading a little along, one person at a time, one person at a time, one person at a time, one per- and then we begin to change and we become like the world. Deal with it sharply. That, now here's why it's a positive thing. I was preaching, I'll give you an example of me, I, I was preaching Several weeks, and I don't know if I was preaching on the Holy Spirit or mentioning the Spirit, and we had a young man that was part of our church, smart guy, going to seminary, and, and uh, he came to me and said, we need to meet. He was real serious. We need to meet. Pastor, we need to meet. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. I could just tell that something wasn't going to be good. He was kind of nervous, but yet bold. He said, we need to meet. And he said, do you realize you're referring to the Holy Spirit as an it? Now, on the surface, that doesn't sound like a big deal, does it? I kept referring to the Holy I wasn't meaning to, but it's like it, 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 it. Now, the Holy Spirit, it. And he said, it is a person, and it is part of the Trinity. You know how much respect I gained from him by doing that? How difficult would it be to biblically know your pastor is saying something not accurate, even though he didn't mean to? 
It's just because I talk fast. You know how I am. You get the Holy Spirit wrong and the Trinity wrong, even though he knew I wasn't going down that road. You get the Trinity wrong, it gets wrong. It winds up real wrong. Deal with it immediately if you think something is wrong. And you go to the Word. Because what your goal is, sound faith. Now, so here's how that talk went with that gentleman a few weeks ago. I wanted to meet with him. I asked a Sunday school teacher video. Yes, uh, let's all have a meeting. Let's come together one-on-one, face-to-face. I hate texting. I hate emailing. I hate that stuff. So we sat down face-to-face. And I said, brother, we'd love for you to be here. We'd love for you to come worship with us. We'd love for you to take part of what we're doing. But we do have a pastor. We do have staff. We do have elders, deacons. We do have people in place. We have authority. There's kind of structure here. You just can't kind of do what you want to do all the time. And I said, we would love for you to embrace that and be part of our church I don't want to do that our goal is not to get everybody like us our goal is not to be judgmental I've always said this this is not a a weapon of mass destruction it is the loving word of God that takes it and changes our heart our goal is not fixing people or heaping legalistic rules on people our goal is that we believe this is the truth and we want everybody to embrace the truth but if we never look anybody eyeball to eyeball and heart to heart and say what you believe is wrong because God has either said it's wrong or said it's right we don't love them enough the goal is not me being right the goal is that he is right but the only way we can handle that is just sitting down and expecting it understanding what it looks like and just dealing with it you know how much conflict we would not have in a church if we didn't have parking lot business meetings you know what that is Don't say anything in front of anybody, but we get out in the parking lot and talk about it. We're all guilty of it, so don't look. Everybody always looks around going, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty, especially now on social media. Well, I read on social media. Well, why don't you go to that person and ask them? I don't want to do that. Well, then stop it. Why do we not want to talk face-to-face with anybody? tell you a little funny deacon story i had a, a a deacon loved him to death but it was always well pastor they said i got so tired of they i knew it was his wife well i just want to let you know they said so i finally in a loving way brother who's they we just had a deacon rule okay if somebody comes to you and there's something going wrong we're going to say the name he said okay guess what happened He quit saying stuff like that. Why can't we just come to somebody? If somebody is in our midst that doesn't believe truth and somebody, we need to go to them and say, brother, we are so glad you're here, but you need to understand souls are at stake here. This is what we believe. If we question somebody, the scripture is full of face-to-face. I like to call eyeball-to-eyeball and heart-to-heart. Just talk to them. Love them enough to sit down with an open Bible and share the truth with them. It is so important because the church is so important. We sing about the birth of Christ and we celebrate His coming. We think about the manger. We think about baby Jesus. We think about all these great things. Oh, yes, and yeah, that is so incredible that the Savior has come, Emmanuel, God with us. He has come and He's given us a church. think about the second coming what is he coming back for us the bride of christ 
We are His. He loves us. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to love Him. As we think about Christmas and we think about the holidays, I want to ask you this. If you don't have a church home, I want you to pray about where you need to be in church. If you're visiting around, I'm so glad you're visiting. If you've been visiting with us, I want you to visit with us. I, you, you've understood from day one, I'm not a high-pressure guy. My thing is, if I got to beg you down to altar, I got to beg you to come to church. I don't want to do either. But I will tell you this. To the best of my ability, and the men and people that we have leading this church, we want to stand on the Word of God. And we want to be a church where your children's souls will be fed the Word of God. And you'll never have to worry about it under my, under my watch. As long as we have this word and the spirit of God within us, we're going to be a church that is going to raise generation after generation after generation that is going to stand on the word. Now, I want to read real quick and close with this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. It talks about preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. And here's some strong words. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I've heard preachers say that in preachers' conference. Preach the word! Not they're mad. Preach the word! But you ought to preach the word. This is what I like more than anything. With patience and teaching. Some of the rightest people are the most angriest people. Have you ever noticed that? They can be right, but they're so angry about it. I like to pick on conservatives. I'm a conservative guy. I'm very conservative. But some of the conservatives are just the grouchiest, meanest, mean-spirited people have ever said. I told this to somebody that looked at me, I was kind of funny. At least liberals are sweet. Maybe not all of them, but some of them. We know the truth, and yet we're mean about it. We're angry about it. We're not with patience and teaching. We're glad you're visiting with us, but maybe this is not the church for you because we believe differently. Maybe this is the church for you. I'd love to patiently walk you through Scripture of what we believe. Pastor, I need, to, I need you to ask me, what do you believe about this? I'd love to patiently show you in Scripture what it is we believe about patiently teaching. I'm going to tell you something. There's a messed up world out there, and we're a part of it. And the only cure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only cure is baby Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. I can either be angry and arrogant and have nobody listen to me or I can be confident and loving and have as many that will listen that me patiently teach them in truth. We got to get this right, but we also got to get our motives right. We have to love the church and love him who died for the church. Let's stand as we sing. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We thank you that you gave your life that we might have eternal life, forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I thank you for the church. We thank you that we have a, a brick building on a piece of property called First Baptist Church. But we thank you for the church, the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you for truth. I thank you, Lord, that we can hear it and believe it and live it out. 
Let us take serious what it is we believe and why we believe it. And Lord, even if we look beyond our own lives and look at the lives of our children and grandchildren and those generations that will follow us once we're long gone, I pray that for the next hundred plus years, this church will continue to be a beacon of truth. A beacon of truth that loves people enough to stand on the word and to share the gospel. Lord, we thank you for our day. And as we come to this point of response, I pray that we respond biblically and obediently. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.